0: All right. Welcome back. Welcome back. This is Jason Lopez, your host with Getting Real with Jason Lopez. I hope everyone had an amazing holiday season and you are kicking off 2020 on a high note. I know there is a lot going on and what I wanted to do today was share some information on new laws that went into effect January 1st of 2020 that could affect you if you're a real estate professional. Or if you own a home, or maybe you're an investor and you own rental property, there's a lot going on. I actually did a, a quick Facebook Live video kind of introducing what I'm going to talk about today. And uh, so I want to start off talking about the new rent cap and just cause eviction law. Now, this is specific to California. Everything I'll talk about today is specific to California, just so you're aware. Um, and there are some interesting things going on. So rent cap and just cause eviction also known as uh, ab 1482 and to summarize uh, the rent cap uh, law means that rent increases will now be capped at five percent plus inflation or up to a hard cap of ten percent whichever is lower Um, and if you own investment property and you raise the rent anytime from march 15th of 2019 that counts towards the rent cap, and if it's above the permissible rent cap increase, you're going to need to roll that back effective January first. So let's say, for example, um, that uh, you raised the rent in June of last year on one of your properties, and it exceeded what the what the uh, cap is in California for 2020, which is actually 7.2%. Let's say you raised it 10%. You're going to need to roll the rent back to that 7.2% threshold. Now, here's the the thing, you do not have to refund any of the rent that you collected, uh, but you do need to roll it back to that cap, again, which would be 7.2%. So that's that's the rent cap portion. What about the just cause portion? Well, there's two pieces to the just cause, um, and this has to do with how and why you can evict tenants. The new law states that landlords may only evict for just cause, and there's actually a list of 15 reasons. Uh, The just cause reasons are divided into two separate categories, at-fault and no-fault. So let's talk about at-fault first. At-fault termination of tenancy is generally based upon a tenant's breach of the lease, um, among other reasons, and it does not require that you pay relocation assistance. If it's a no-fault termination, which I'll talk about, there is a relocation assistance that needs to be paid. So we'll get to that. Um, With the at-fault, the reasons could include things like non-payment of rent. Maybe they're uh, creating some sort of a nuisance in the property or the neighborhood. Obviously criminal activities would allow you to evict. Uh, Refusal to allow entry to the property could be an at-fault reason. Um, or if there's any breach of a material term of the lease. And that might be things like, you know, there's a no smoking clause and they're smoking or there's a no pets clause and they have pets, right? So those are some of the reasons that you could terminate the lease at fault um, of the tenant. No fault termination uh, is a little bit different, obviously, um, and is allowed when the tenant has not breached the lease and it does require that the landlord pay at least one month's rent in relocation assistance. So, you're going to have to help them move into a new place. Um, no fault reasons could include things such as the owner wants to occupy that property. So, they're planning to move in themselves. Um, maybe they decide to pull the property off the rental market. Maybe a family member is going to move in there or something like that. Uh, maybe they need to do some substantial work, remodeling, renovations, or bring the property into compliance with some sort of a government order or things like that. So, um, couple of the things about Just Cause, and I'm going to go into some FAQs about this as well. Um, Just Cause only applies to tenants who have been continuously and lawfully occupying the property for 12 months. Okay, So they are on a lease, on a long-term lease, at least a year long, and they've been in the property continuously for that period of time. Now, there are a few exemptions in place that I want to talk about. And then I'm gonna talk about the notification. How do you notify your tenants about, um, about this new law? And it's interesting because you have to notify them whether or not the property's exempt, okay? So even if the property is, is not exempt, you need to notify them. If it is exempt, you need to notify them that it's exempt. And I'll talk about how to do that. Here's a couple of exemptions that you should keep aware of. Number one is uh, the law exempts single-family properties and condos if, if, the landlord has provided the exemption to the tenant. Okay, so again, if you are renting a condo to somebody, they are exempt, or you you are exempt from the rent cap and just cause laws if you provide them notice, okay? How do you provide them notice? Well, the California Association of Realtors has developed a new form called the RCJC, uh, which is Rent Cap Just Cause Eviction, and it's a a one-pager that you need to deliver to them Um, and, And let them know that there's been a change to the lease and that the property is exempt. I'll talk a little bit more about that in detail. Another exemption would be that the property is not owned by a real estate investment trust or a corporation or an LLC if the owner is a corporation. So again, single family and condos are exempt if the owner is not a real estate investment trust, a corporation or an LLC, where an owner is a corporation. If it's an LLC that owns the property, but the owner of the LLC is it's owned by them and, and it's not a corporate LLC, then the um, um, the exemption is, is would apply. Um, and th- there's a few other things. If you own a duplex and you actually live in one of the units, you're exempt. Um, and then also, um, if, uh, if the property is newer than 15 years. Um, so if you have a property that was built 10 years ago, you're also exempt. That is a rolling 15 years, however. So <clears throat> another five years, you won't, you won't be exempt from the law. It's, it's, so every year, a year falls off, in other words, right? <clears throat> um, I mentioned the um, Rent Cap Just Cause Addendum form, RCJC. Um, you can use this form, and if, you, if you're not a realtor, um, which many of you may not be listening, then you can contact me and I'd be happy to provide that form for you um, It is available now um, as part of our standard forms with the uh, California Association of Realtors. Now. Here's the thing It should have been provided by January 1st um, If you haven't provided it, it's better late than never and again, I'm, I'm providing you guys information I'm not an attorney. I'm a licensed real estate broker in California and Washington State, but I'm not an attorney So I'm not giving you legal advice here Um but I would provide it whether or not you have. Um, if, uh, so I'm going to go through some of these FAQs. If your tenant is month-to-month, does that matter? Yes, it does matter. For month-to-month tenants, uh, this addendum should be incorporated into the rental agreement by providing the notice by a change in terms of Tennessee. So you, there's another form you could use, which is called notice of change in terms of Tennessee. Um, and you can use that in conjunction because you're actually changing the terms of the rental agreement. <clears throat> What about leases? If your tenant is on a lease, then you'll provide the addendum as a standalone notice. So you don't need to incorporate the change in terms. It's just an addendum to your existing lease. Um, What needs to be done for new or renewed tenants? And the answer to that, guys, is basically for all tenants who are signing a new lease or rental agreement or a renewed lease or rental agreement after January 1st of 2020, you need to include that addendum, that RCJC form. Um, Let's see, what is another uh, question that people are asking? What if the tenant whose lease has expired refuses to sign a new rental agreement with the addendum? Uh, And the answer to that is pretty straightforward. If the lease has expired after January 1st, 2020, the owner may choose to evict on this basis, or the owner may simply allow the tenant to go month to month and then incorporate the addendum into the rental agreement by delivery of a notice to change terms of tenancy. Uh, Do not, however, sign a new or renewed lease or rental agreement without the addendum. That's the caveat for you landlords out there. Um, If the owner is entitled to the exemption for single family properties or condos, is it necessary for the box in the exemption paragraph in the RCJC form to be checked? And the answer to that is a yes. you are if you are entitled to the exemption for single family properties or condos, then you check the box. Otherwise, it won't be clear whether the owner has complied with the notice requirements. Um, so a lot of interesting a lot of interesting things. Let's talk about some important dates here, right? And I mentioned uh, the law went into effect January first, twenty twenty. We, they ask a lot about rental increases. And I already mentioned, if you have raised the rent since uh, March 15th of 2019 and it exceeds the cap, the 5% plus cost of living, which in, in our case in San Diego or maybe in California, and I'm gonna give you some links here in a minute where you can find that out. You need to roll it back. But the question is, can landlords increase the rent right now or before January 1st? And the answer is, of course they can. But again, it can't exceed that maximum rent increase cap. Um, so again, about the, the notification, should a landlord provide any notice to the tenant before January 1st? And I know we're you know, a week past that now, and the, the answer to that is yes. In order for a landlord to take advantage of certain exemptions, written notices to the tenant or new lease provisions will be necessary. Um, if the tenant is month-to-month, then the addendum should be incorporated into the rental agreement, as I mentioned, <clears throat> by changing the terms of tenancy. And uh, again, there is a form for that. If you need any of these forms, you can just uh, just let me know. Here's a great question and a really cool answer. Uh, is there a sunset date? In other words, does this law expire? And the answer is it does, yes. Uh, this law will sunset in 10 years, so January 1st, 2030. Now. What'll happen between now and then, who knows? Will they extend it? Will they make it permanent? That's a possibility, I would imagine. But there is a sunset date and it's January 1st of 2030. Um, The law does not apply to commercial properties. It only covers residential property. Now let's talk about again, how much can a landlord raise the rent? So again, it's gonna be the lower of 5% plus cost of living or 10% maximum. Okay, whatever is lower there. And um, uh, so, what cost, what, which cost of index living cost of living index is used? And it's the regional consumer price index. Okay. You might want to write this down <clears throat> regional consumer price index, which is published by the United States Bureau of Labor Statistics, also known as the Bureau. And it uses the 12 month period. April to April, and so there's a link, and it's it's kind of long, but you can you can write this down if you want. It's www.bls.gov forward slash regions forward slash subjects forward slash consumer hyphen price hyphen indexes, that's i-n-d-e-x-e-s, dot h-t-m, hashtag c-a. Now, I'm not going to repeat that because it's super long, but you can play this back and get it all. I think if you go to bls.gov, okay, and that's Bureau of Labor Statistics, bls.gov, and search Consumer Price Index. You'll be able to find that, but there's the link um, that you can that you can use. Um, so uh, there are um, some some issues that are going to go along with this, right? So an example is that the, the the Bureau of Labor Statistics does not include April numbers for some counties. Those counties include San Diego, Riverside, and San Bernardino counties. Um, those are they publish bi monthly numbers for those. And, and so you need to, to pay attention to that. But anyway, you can you can go to that link and, uh, and you can figure that out. To give you the other counties, April to April, here's what it was. So LA and Orange counties, um, it's 3.3. So that would make it 8.3 total. 5% plus 3.3, 8.3%. That's less than 10%. So that would be the max amount you could raise the rent. Uh, Bay, uh, San Bernardino and Riverside counties, as of July of 2019, is 2.6%. San Diego, uh, as of September of 2019, 1.4%. San Francisco, Alameda, Contra Costa, Marin, and San Mateo counties was 4%. So you add that to the five, so that's 9%. All other counties in the state uh, were 3.3%. Okay, so 3.3% plus the 5% 5% would give you 8.3%. So um, there's some some information for you there. They're not making it easy, are they? This is what always intrigues me, is uh, is they put these rules into a place. They give us a few weeks' notice, basically, and then you've got to, you know, get this all done by the end of the year. So um, if anyone would like the full list of Q&As and the summary of the law and all of that, please shoot me an email, Jason at joinreal.com, Jason at joinreal.com, and I'll be happy to send that over to you. It's a PDF file and I think it's probably about 15 pages or so that you can can have on hand so you can familiarize yourself with exactly uh, what's going on with the new rent cap and just cause eviction. But I think, I hope we gave you a a, a good summary there and maybe more information than you wanted. Um, All right, there's a few other new laws. Uh, That kicked in in 2020 that I want to talk about really quickly. Um, And uh, I think probably the biggest one, and you've probably been seeing some of this already happening, and it has to do with consumer privacy and changes to the Consumer Privacy Protection Act. Um, A lot of social media and websites um, have started posting you know, notices about the change and, and things like that. And um, in terms of real estate agents, there's a new form that was also created. It is available in the car library um, in, in zip forms that, uh, you'll, that you're just going to incorporate into either your listing packet or your buyer uh, consultation packet. And you should have this new notice around consumer privacy signed when you have the agency disclosure uh, form signed as well, okay? So it'll just tell them what their rights are. But let me give you a little excerpt from uh, from what this new law, and there's various changes to the Consumer Privacy Protection um, Act. But basically, it exempts uh, from the Consumer Privacy Protection Act information collected from employees and independent contractors for one year. Um, it also... Um, broadens the public information exemption for personal information. So that means that um, it excludes information that is publicly available regardless of whether um, they've been notified um, of that. It also creates a new category and registration requirements for what they call data brokers. Um, A data broker is a business that knowingly collects and sells to third parties the personal information of a consumer home with whom the business does not have a direct relationship so think about all those third-party marketing companies the other part of that is that data brokers will now be required to register with the attorney general um, let's see about this um, that's probably all the really important stuff oh um, it does expand the type of data subject to the Information Practices Act of 1977. Um, so that includes things like driver's licenses, social security numbers, California ID cards. Um, it adds as personal information tax identification numbers, passport numbers, military ID numbers, um, or other unique ID numbers issued on a government document commonly used to verify the identity of a specific individual. So they've added some additional um, protections there. Um, the other one that I found interesting this new law is that um, common interest developments um, will now have to allow religious items to be displayed on entry doors. So this is pretty pretty interesting that it goes it goes to this uh, to this extent. But uh, the law, with some exceptions, prohibits property owners and common interest developments from enforcing or adopting restrictions that prohibit the display of religious items on entry doors or entry door frames of dwellings. Um, The exemptions uh, include religious displays that threaten the public health or safety, hinder the opening or closing of the entry door, violate any federal, state, or local law, contain graphics, language, or any display that is obscene or otherwise illegal, and they it have to be limited in size. Um, so, uh, religious items displayed or fixed on any entry drawer or door frame that has a total size greater than thirty six by twelve square inches um, <laughs> would not be allowed. Uh, so, something interesting there with with um, HOAs or. or uh, um, common interest developments. The other one that had to do with HOAs that I saw is has to do with granny flats and ADUs. Um, and I wanted to find that one really quickly here. Um, okay, so uh, this one talks about any provision in a CCNR, those are covenants, conditions, and restrictions of a, ha- uh, a homeowner's association, uh, any pr- provision in a CCNR that prohibits or unreasonably restricts the construction use or rental of an accessory dwelling unit, granny flat, or junior dwelling unit on a lot zoned for single-family residential use is void and unenforceable. So obviously this is not going to apply to a condominium project because it's not single-family uh, residential use. It's, it's, a, it's a, uh, a shared interest, common development. So um, if you own a home in a... Uh, what they call a a PUD, a planned uh, urban or planned unit development, um, which is kind of like a condo association, a homeowner's association, but there's no common walls. So this new law makes void and unenforceable any covenant, restriction, or condition contained in any deed, contract, security instrument, or other instrument affecting the transfer sale of any interest in a planned development in any provision of governing document that effectively prohibits or unreasonably restricts the construction or use of an accessory dwelling unit or junior dwelling unit on a lot zoned for single-family residential use, that meets the certain minimum standard established for those units. So um, interesting uh, interesting thing. Uh, Granny flats, ADUs have become kind of a hot topic, especially as our inventory crisis has just been ongoing and ongoing um, as a way to create more housing. And and so we're seeing a lot of cities and uh, counties around the state that are streamlining uh, the permit process to build those types of units. They're even waiving some of the fees um, associated with that. So it makes it easier, cheaper and quicker to build those types of units. Um, And so I'm sure we're gonna hear a lot more about the accessory dwelling unit slash granny flats uh, in the, in the coming uh, in the coming years. So that's my recap on what's been going on with some of the new laws. Uh, and again, if you guys have any questions about any of this, I, I'm happy to pass the information on. Again, as a disclaimer, I'm not an attorney. I'm just simply sharing the information cold from the California Association of Realtors um, as it pertains to certain things affecting home ownership and those in the real estate profession. Um, So with that, I will say thank you for tuning in to our first podcast of 2020. Have a great year, and I will look forward to catching up with everyone soon. Take care.